ಸದೇಕಂಬಮೀಶಂ ಭೋಧಿಪೋತ ಶರಣ್ಯಂ On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship. To that alone, the witness of the universe, do we bow. To that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. I'm happy to see all of you after what seems like a long time. It was only two months. I was in North Carolina, and I'm happy to be back. And today, uh, I thought we could spend some time in holy company with Brother Lawrence. Most of you know about Brother Lawrence because <clears throat> Swami Brahma Rupananda likes to speak about him. So I've stolen his topic today, and... <clears throat> uh, I'd like to just spend a little time with Brother Lawrence. He was a simple lay brother of a Carmelite monastery in Paris in the 17th century. Now, what is special about him? He used to follow a certain spiritual discipline in which he became fully established. It was a matter of experience for him. He called it the practice of the presence of God. And through this practice, he became illumined. We know just a little bit about him. One uh, jo- Joseph de Beaufort, a well-placed cleric, came to know him and was deeply inspired by his life and teachings. And he recorded some conversations they had together. And after Brother Lawrence's death in 1691, he was able to collect 16 letters. So 16 letters that Brother Lawrence wrote remain. Also, Beaufort wrote two short biographies of uh, Brother Lawrence, and Brother Lawrence also wrote down a few maxims. So this comprises all the recorded material on Brother Lawrence. Uh, the book was translated into many languages, and ironically, it, the book is much better known in English than in the original French. So we may ask why at the Vedanta Society a lecture about an old French Christian monk. One great benefit that we have as students of Vedanta is that we can learn from the teachings and teachers of all religions. The mystics of all traditions speak to us. As Sri Ramakrishna says, all jackals howl alike. That means, he means the, the illumined souls, they speak a similar language from whatever tradition they may be coming. So we can sit at the feet of Sri Ramakrishna and Buddha and Jesus, and we can learn from Tulshidas and Rumi and Brother Lawrence. Of course, we will dig our well in one spot, as Sri Ramakrishna says, 
But along with Swami Vivekananda, we can say, I accept all religions that were in the past and worship with them all. I worship God with every one of them in whatever form they worship him. I shall go to the mosque of the Mohammedan. I shall enter the Christian's church and kneel before the crucifix. I shall enter the Buddhistic temple where I shall take refuge in Buddha and in his law. I shall go into the forest and sit down in meditation with the Hindu who is trying to see the light which enlightens the heart of everyone. Not only shall I do all these, but I shall keep my heart open for all that may come in the future. Salutation to all the prophets of the past, to all the great ones of the present, and to all that are to come in the future. That was from Swami Vivekananda's lecture delivered in Pasadena in January of 1900. Brother Lawrence is fairly well known in Vedanta circles, although it doesn't seem that Swami Vivekananda knew about him. We know that Swami Yatishwarananda wrote quite a bit about him, so it may be that he, as it were, discovered him for the Vedanta movement. So what is so compelling about Brother Lawrence? Why, does, why do we keep coming back to Brother Lawrence? He's an unlettered lay brother with a very rough exterior who attained a very high state of spirituality through a wonderfully simple method and encouraged others to take up this method. And through his letters and his conversations, he is encouraging us also to take up this method. And this method is not a doctrinal method or any kind of theological method. It's a very simple method that one can practice whatever religion one follows, whatever mm, outlook one has on life. And his joy and enthusiasm through his letters are palpable even after all these centuries. And his method is very sound. His humble position as monastery cook and later as the sandal maker for the monastery makes his joy and illumination all the more compelling. If we were to try to sum up his teaching, we could say... It would be something like this. The direct, immediate experience of the divine is possible here and now in this moment. We simply need to practice it. It is the straight of true blessedness. That much. Externally, brothers, Brother Lawrence's life is quite unremarkable. He was born in 1614, he was named Nicholas Hermann, born in a small French hamlet. He didn't have much education, though he could read and write. He became a soldier in the terrible Thirty Years' War and was captured, suspected of being a spy. He was almost executed. He was to be executed. At the last minute, he was released. And he was injured in the leg in 1635 at age 21 and then released from military service. He returned home. Then he became a valet or footman to one aristocrat, a job in which he relates that he was a clumsy oaf who broke everything. Then, at 26 years of age, he entered the, the order of discalced Carmelites in Paris as a lay brother and took the religious name Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. 
The Carmelite order was actually founded some 500 years before that in the 12th century. And the two great figures of the Carmelites are St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, who founded, together they founded this Discalced Carmelites, which is a, a branch of the Carmelite order. And this branch especially, they emphasize contemplative prayer, real seeking of God through prayer, and what we call meditation. I may just mention that when reading the Christian mystics, one has to remember that what the Christian, what in Christian theology and uh, mysticism is called contemplation, that is what we call meditation, what Vedantists will call meditation. And what they call meditation, we would call something like manana, or contemplation, or thinking about something. So the terms are reversed, so that can sometimes cause a little confusion, that we need to keep that in mind when reading uh, books about Christian mysticism. Brother Lawrence had a two years of novitiate. There were some classes. And then at age 28, he had his solemn profession of vows and became a full-fledged lay brother. And he was assigned to work in the kitchen. And as it often seems to happen with in monasteries, uh, that particular work, he said, he had the strongest natural aversion for it. So he was put into a, a work which naturally he, would, he couldn't stand that work. And there he was in the kitchen. He worked there for many years in the kitchen. He was the head cook for 15 years. And afterwards, his disability from the injury in his leg uh, made it too strenuous for him. He always walked with a limp, and he had a kind of sciatic gout. So after that, he was appointed as, appointed as sandal maker. Now, his monastery was quite large. At first, it may have been a little small, but uh, by the time he was sandal maker, there would have been uh, often 100 members. So that would have been 200 feet which, for which he had to make sandals. Discalced, by the way, the discalced Carmelites, it actually means barefoot, the barefoot Carmelites. So the discalced Carmelites, they don't wear shoes. They wear sandals, but they don't wear shoes. So that more or less covers the externals of his life. Monastery cook and cobbler with occasional assignments involving short journeys or soliciting donations. And he would have had to run some errands in the city. But most of the rest of his 77 years of life would be spent there in the discalced Carmelite monastery on the Rue Vaurigard in Paris. For 50 years, he practiced the presence of God. And gradually, others began to notice there was something holy about him, something special about him, and they began to seek his guidance and his holy company. It is very difficult to speak of the unfolding of the inner life of a saint. But we get a few hints of Brother Lawrence's inner development. He relates a, a profound experience which came uh, at the beginning of his life, when he was 18. This conversation is recorded by the, Mr. Beaufort, I saw Brother Lawrence for the first time 
and he told me that God had granted him a special grace of conversion at the age of 18, when he was still in the world. One day in winter, while he was looking at a tree stripped of its leaves, and he realized that in a little while its leaves would reappear, followed by its flowers and fruit, he received a profound insight into God's providence that has never been erased from his soul. This insight completely freed him from the world and gave him such a love for God that he could not say it had increased during the more than 40 years that had passed. The idea of providence of God is something like that the divine is looking after everything. The providence of God, the divine is looking after everything. The divine is provi- God is providing for the tree to die off in winter and again to bring forth leaves and fruit. And this was clearly the singular event that marked the turning from the life of the world to the life of the spirit for Brother Lawrence. The Christian mystical literature calls this conversion. And it is something that happens in the lives of all spiritual seekers, though it may not be so dramatic or sudden as in the case of Brother Lawrence. It is a total turning of the mind to the divine, an awakening to the reality of the divine, a realizing that, yes, God is true. Behind this world of appearances, there is the divine, there shines the divine. So all of us must also have had, to some extent at least, such a conversion. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be spending our Sunday mornings here. We might be spending it with breakfast in bed. So this conversion, it may come slowly, gradually. Sometimes it strikes like lightning. Our problem is that the mind may turn to God for a while. We have a partial conversion but then it turns back to the life, the ordinary life, the material life. So we want gradually to attain the complete conversion. We wonder why it strikes some in such a forceful way, why Brother Lawrence at the age of 18 had this profound life-altering experience in which, which for his whole life it never diminished. It's difficult to say. The time was ripe, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say. The time is ripe for him. Such an experience may come as a result of contemplation of natural beauty, as with Brother Lawrence, perhaps in the Himalayas or some lonely forest, or hearing some beautiful song, some beautiful music. The mind is filled with beauty, and then the veil that hides the divine from our sight is temporarily torn. It is our being is flooded with divine feeling. Our mind turns to God. Swami Vivekananda had such an experience as a boy of maybe 14 years old. He describes what happens. He was on his way to Rajkot with his family, and he was in the back of a bullock cart, and he was alone in the cart and looking up, and he had this beautiful nature with the birds and the flowers and the trees and he says he saw a beehive I saw that there was a very big cleft from the crest to the foot of the mountain on one side of the path and filling that cleft 
there was hanging in it an enormous honeycomb, the result of the bee's labor for ages. Filled with wonder, as I was pondering over the beginning and the end of that kingdom of bees, my mind became so much absorbed in the thought of the infinite power of God, the controller of the three worlds, that I completely lost my consciousness of the external world for some time. So this is conversion. And in Brother Lawrence's case, the experience brought an intense love of God, which was to form the keynote of his life, this love of God. This love allowed him to be completely satisfied with his humble station in life. The lay brothers in those days had the very lowest status in the monastery. They used to have the different status. They were not highly educated, so they didn't know Latin. All the church rites were performed in Latin, so they, being ignorant of Latin, couldn't do the church work. So they did much of the manual labor of the monastery, while the clerics, so-called clerics or priests, would spend many hours in the church in performing the mass and reciting the prayers and all that. So a lay brother was lower in status even than a novice cleric. If a novice cleric joined, he was higher in status than a lay brother. But Brother Lawrence was completely unconcerned about all that. He was not in the least disturbed. He does relate that he had a period of struggle, as all saints and mystics experience. He also had some years of struggle and hard times including four years of a kind of dark night of the soul, which Swami Atmagyananda has recently lectured about. He had an intense spiritual suffering during that time, and of this period he wrote, The apprehension that I did not belong to God as I wished, my past sins always before my eyes, and the lavish graces God gave me were the sum and substance of all my woes. It's strange because he says he was receiving lavish graces, yet he felt he did not belong to God. And this feeling of estrangement was the heart of his suffering. And he finally overcame it, as he writes, When I accepted the fact that I might spend my life suffering from these troubles and anxieties, which in no way diminished the trust I had in God and served only to increase my faith, I found myself changed all at once, and my soul, until that time always in turmoil, experienced a deep inner peace, as if it had found its center and place of rest. This was perhaps the second turning point in Brother Lawrence's life, when he was able finally to fully surrender to the divine will. Notice this. He was able to accept the fact that he might spend the rest of his life suffering, We are always hoping for things to get better. If any suffering we have in our life, we are trying as hard as we can to remove that suffering. If we have illness, we're trying our best to remove it. If we have some difficult person in our lives, we're trying our best to either improve them or get away from them. Somehow we're trying to change our circumstances. What happened for Brother Lawrence? He accepted that, okay, my whole life is going to be suffering like this. And paradoxically, That was the moment that he attained the real peace, the real inner peace.
After that, what did he do? Since that time, I do my work in simple faith before God, humbly and lovingly, and I carefully apply myself to avoid doing, saying, or thinking anything that might displease him. I hope that having done all that I can, he will do with me as he pleases. Let us turn now to Brother Lawrence's teachings. What exactly is the presence, practicing the presence of God, and how do we practice it? Brother Lawrence gives some clear in practical instructions. He writes, The holiest, most ordinary, and most necessary practice of the spiritual life is that of the presence of God. It is to take delight in and become accustomed to his divine company, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him all the time, at every moment, without rule or measure, especially in times of temptation, suffering, aridity, weariness, even infidelity and sin. We must continually apply ourselves so that all our actions, without exception, become a kind of brief conversation with God, not in a contrived manner, but coming from the purity and simplicity of our hearts. We'll find that Brother Lawrence's uh, method is a beautiful harmony of the yogas, particularly the bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion, and karma yoga, the yoga of action. These two for him are not separate. Every action is an expression of his love for God. And every action is offered to God. Every action is a brief conversation with God, he says. We must perform all our actions carefully and deliberately, not impulsively or hurriedly, for such would characterize a distracted mind. We must work gently and lovingly with God, asking him to accept our work, and by this continual attention to God, we will crush the head of the devil and force the weapons from his hands. We find here an echo of the Gita, where Sri Krishna describes yoga as karmasukaushalam, that means skill in work, the real skill in work, that is yoga. Here we also get this, this sense of working carefully and deliberately and not hurriedly. Now he does mention here the devil. When we, as Vedanta students, will read the Christian mystics, sometimes we have to apply a little bit the Vedantic lens. We just put on our Vedantic glasses and we see devil and we understand, okay, the lower nature, the, the uh, negative tendencies of, the, of our own minds, negative tendencies of the ego, the unripe ego. That's the devil. During our work and other activities, even during our reading and writing, no matter how spiritual, and I emphasize even during our religious exercises and vocal prayers, we must stop for a moment, as often as possible, to adore God in the depths of our hearts, to savor him, even though in passing and stealthily. 
since you are aware that God is present to you during your actions, that he is in the depths and center of your heart, stop your activities and even your vocal prayers, at least from time to time, to adore him within, to praise him, to ask his help, to offer him your heart and to thank him. It is a typical error among the spiritually minded not to withdraw from what is external from time to time to adore God within themselves and enjoy his divine presence in peace for a few moments. So we see that along with the karma, being a karma yogi and a bhakti yogi, he is also a raja yogi. He is also a meditator. Not that he spent long hours sitting in the chapel in meditation, but continually was turning within. He would work for, for some time and then take a brief moment to recollect himself and feel the presence within, adore the Lord within. And he also practiced very much this building a relationship with God. God was not some stranger to him. God was his, his nearest and dearest companion. Sri Ramakrishna used to emphasize also very much this the importance of cultivating a relationship with the divine, with our chosen ideal. As a child, a servant, a friend, a parent, a beloved. So Brother Lawrence gives us practical hints on how to do it by continually conversing with God, withdrawing regularly from everything to take a moment to offer our work to God. It's a beautiful way to practice the karma yoga. We offer everything to the beloved, not just at the end of the day, but moment to moment, moment to moment. Brother Lawrence gives some hints for beginners of this practice, how to acquire this presence of God, how to acquire it. He says, the first means is great purity of life. The second is great fidelity to the practice of this presence and to the fostering of this awareness of God within, which must always be performed gently, humbly, and lovingly, without giving in to disturbance or anxiety. We must take special care that this inner awareness, no matter how brief it may be, precedes our activities, that it accompanies them from time to time, and that we complete all of them in the same way. Since much time and effort are required to acquire this practice, we must not get discouraged when we fail, for the habit is only formed with effort. Yet, once it is formed, we will find contentment in everything. It would be appropriate for beginners to formulate a few words interiorly, such as, My God, I am completely yours. Or, God of love, I love you with all my heart. Or, Lord, fashion me according to your heart. Or any other words love spontaneously produces. But they must take care that their minds do not wander. The mind must be kept fixed on God alone. So here, Brother Lawrence gives us four Ps. Four Ps. Purity perseverance, patience, and prayer. Gives us four Ps. First, the means is purity of life. 
The second is great fidelity to the practice of this presence. It means we have to persevere before we do our work, during our work, after our work, day in and day out, we have to persevere. And yet we must not become discouraged when we, our minds wander away from the ideal as they do. Patience. Purity, perseverance, patience. And for Brother Lawrence, his practice of the presence of God was supported by continual prayer, short little prayers within. Brother Lawrence said that thoughts spoil everything. That's how the trouble starts. We must be careful to reject them as soon as we notice that they have nothing to do with our present occupation or our salvation and begin again our conversation with God, which is where our good is found. Brother Lawrence relates that at the beginning he had often spent the whole period of mental prayer, of meditation, just fighting off thoughts and falling into them, fighting them off again. So this is uh, where we find that uh, he is teaching us actually to practice viveka, discrimination, to watch our thoughts and say, well, this, this thought is not helpful for us and turn the mind back, turning the mind back again and again. So we find really it's very much in his teachings are very much in keeping with the teachings of Vedanta. And he emphasizes this training of the mind, forming a habit. The mind is like a dog, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that's been spoiled. So it uh, is ill-trained. It constantly runs after all kinds of things and it doesn't do as its master Directs. So we have to train it, and gradually the mind f- forms a habit, it forms a habit of practicing the presence of God. Then, once that habit is formed, we've got a little more smooth sailing. But to develop the habit is the hard work, and to break the bad habits. Brother Lawrence emphasizes that it is the attitude, not the act, that matters in karma yoga, in practicing the presence. It is divine love, devotion, that is the essence. He says, in the ways of God, thoughts amount to little, whereas love counts for everything. And it is not necessary to have important things to do. I flip my little omelette in the frying pan for the love of God. And when it is done, if I have nothing to do, I prostrate myself on the floor and adore my God, who gave me the grace to do it, after which I get up happier than a king. When I can do nothing else, it is enough for me to pick up a straw from the ground for the love of God. You know, Brother Lawrence must have seemed to be a little bit crazy. Just in the kitchen, he's flipping a little omelette and he's got the big smile on his face, just flipping an omelette in the kitchen. Why? Because he's doing it for God. And then there's nothing to do, prostrating right there on, in the kitchen on the ground, just out of uh, ecstasy, praising the Lord. If anyone saw him, they, they would think he was a little mad. And he used to say that he had so many 
interior graces, he would get so much joy within that he would have to hide, he would have to do sometimes foolish things or act like a fool in order to hide the, maybe to hide tears or uh, something like that from others so others wouldn't know what was going on within. So he probably came across to, to many people as a little bit eccentric. But Sri Ramakrishna used to say, some are mad for money, some are mad for family, some are mad for career, for name and fame. I am mad for God. Why not be mad for God? So for Brother Lawrence, there is no secular. There is no secular. All is sacred. Flipping his omelette is worship of God. This is the vision of the illumined saint. The times, and he says, the times of activity are not at all different from the hours of prayer. For I possess God as peacefully in the commotion of my kitchen, where often enough several people are asking me for different things at the same time, as I do when kneeling before the blessed sacrament. My faith sometimes becomes so enlightened, I think I've lost it. For it seems to me that the curtain of obscurity has been drawn aside, and the endless, clear day of the next life has begun to dawn. It is wonderful to see the extent of Brother Lawrence's surrender, his surrender to God. He strove to depend only on God and on nothing and no one else for all his needs. Beaufort recounts one of their conversations. When faced with some virtue to be practiced, he would say, My God, I can only do this if you help me. And he received the necessary strength immediately and even more. When he failed, he did nothing other than acknowledge his failure, telling God, I will never do anything right if you leave me alone. It is up to you to stop me from falling and correct what is wrong. After that, he no longer worried about his failure. He said that we must act very straightforwardly with God and speak to him freely, asking him for help in events as they happened, for God never fails to come to our aid, as he often experienced. He had recently been asked to go to Burgundy to get the wine supply, a painful task for him. Not only did he lack skill in these matters, but his leg was crippled and he could only get about on the boat by dragging himself over the barrels. Yet he did not worry about it or about his purchase of wine. He told God it was his problem, after which he discovered that all was accomplished and all was done well. He had been sent to Auvergne the previous year for the same reason. He could not explain how the matter was accomplished, since he was not the one who accomplished it, and yet it was done well. This is beautiful. He didn't feel that he had done the work. God had done the work. He was, as Sri Ramakrishna used to sing, I am the machine and thou art the operator. I am the chariot, thou art the charioteer. I am the house and thou art the indweller. So through this continual practice of the presence of God, this continual interior conversation, he turned everything over to God. Poor man, we can see, a poor cripple dragging himself over the wine barrels in a boat to make the wine purchase. 
He didn't phrase him at all. And God was making the purchase. God was doing the work. Beaufort relates one incident. I said to him one day, this is Beaufort, Beaufort, I said to him one day, without warning, that something of considerable importance, very close to his heart, and for which he had worked a long time, could not be carried out. And, in fact, the opposite had just been decided. His only reply was, We must believe that those who made this decision did so for good reasons. Our task is to implement it and not to speak of it any more. That is, in fact, what he did, and so completely that he never spoke of it again, even though he often had the opportunity. This is a remarkable uh, event. When we are working hard for something for a long time, and then suddenly we find out all of a sudden that it's not going to happen, that in fact the very opposite thing is going to happen. Personally, I go, I go on complaining about it for days or weeks or months. This one time, he said, our task is to implement it and not speak of it anymore. And that's what he did. He never spoke of it again. Reading about uh, the, these incidents in Brother Lawrence's life, I'm reminded of the verse of the Gita in which Sri uh, Krishna says, Ananyas chintayanto maam ye janaf paryupasati Desham nitya bhiyuktana yogakshemam vaham yaham Those persons who worship me never harboring any other thought, and ever devoted to me. To them I carry what they lack and preserve what they already have. The yoga kshemam bahami, Sri Krishna says, I carry what they lack and preserve what they have. So Brother Lawrence just put his whole mind into God, surrendered completely to the divine, and then... The divine is carrying what he lacks and preserving what he has, taking care of his work. Jesus also says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Brother Lawrence verifies this, that uh, for those who can fully depend on the divine, who can seek first the kingdom of God, their needs will be taken care of. That is the assurance. Another way to understand Brother Lawrence's wonderful state of freedom from worry is that he had learned to live in the present moment, the only moment in in which one can practice the presence of God. 
Of course, the present moment is the only moment in which we can experience anything or do anything or think anything. Even if we think about the future, if we worry about the future, we're doing it in the present moment. But most people, most of us waste the present moment by ruminating over the past or worrying about the future. Rather than being alive to the presence of the divine in this very present moment. Beaufort relates, Brother Lawrence reached the point where his thoughts were exclusively of God. When he had some matter to take care of, he never thought about it in advance, but with, within the necessary time period, he found in God as in a clear mirror, what he needed at the moment. For some time now, he acted in this manner with no apprehension. Although before he had this experience of God's prompt help, he worried about everything. So Brother Lawrence experienced this divine assistance and then could completely give up all worry. So how we take divine assistance. Brother Lawrence wrote to a nun in 1689, It is impossible to avoid the dangers and hazards which life is full of without God's actual constant help. Let us ask him for it continually. We cannot ask him for it unless we are with him. We cannot be with him unless we think of him often. We cannot think of him often unless we habitually practice this holy exercise. You will tell me that I always say the same thing. It is true. I know no other means more appropriate or easier than that. And since I practice no other, I recommend it to everyone. We must know before we can love. To know God, we must think of him often. And when our love is strong, we will think of him very often for our heart will be where our treasure is. Think about this often and think about this carefully. We Swamis also always say the same thing. Sometimes I'm surprised that people keep coming. <laughs> There's not much to be told, not much to be told in spiritual life, but the problem is it doesn't sink very deeply, so we have to repeat it again and again, we have to hear it again and again, we have to read it again and again. And Brother Lawrence was the same. He would, he would encourage people again and again, look, it's so simple. Just practice the presence of God. He's right here, right now. Just turn within and practice it. Just feel it. You'll get this wonderful joy. You'll, you'll become free from worry. You'll enjoy divine communion. And just practice it. What is there? Be up and doing One nun, uh, he used to correspond with some nuns, and one uh, wrote to him that she was finding the mind so terribly restless. This is the complaint that all of us have, and uh, in the 17th century, the case was no different from the 21st century. So Brother Lawrence reminds her that everyone suffers from this problem. He writes... Reverend and dear mother, you are telling me nothing new, 
and you are not the only one who experiences distractions. The mind is extremely flighty, but the will, mistress of all our powers, must take hold of it and bring it back to God as to its final end. If the mind has not been disciplined early on, it can easily become distracted and dissipated, in which case these harmful tendencies will ordinarily drag us to earthly things in spite of all our efforts, for they are difficult to overcome. I think the answer to our problems is to confess our faults and to humble ourselves before God. I advise you against long discourses during mental prayer, for they often foster distractions. Remain before God like a poor, mute, paralytic at the door of a rich man. Strive to be attentive to God's presence. If your mind wanders or withdraws occasionally, don't get upset, since these disturbances tend to distract the mind rather than focus it we must use the will to gently collect our thoughts. If you persevere in this manner, God will have mercy on you. Here he gives a very important point. If we get discouraged by the fact that our mind is distracted, that discouragement will become an additional obstacle, an additional problem for us. He says, an easy way to keep the mind from wandering during the time of mental prayer is to keep it as still as possible, not to let it take flight during the day. You must keep it faithfully in God's presence, and once you are accustomed to think of him from time to time, it will be easy to remain calm during prayer, or at least to bring the mind back when it wanders. So some of the points he makes here, the first of all, the younger we can start our spiritual life, our spiritual practices, the better. Don't put it off. The, the sooner we cultivate the habit of disciplining the mind, the better for us. Proceed with patience. If we get upset with our restless mind, it will be doubly restless. And then this beautiful image, he says, remain as a mute paralytic at a rich man's door. Someone who is paralyzed, he can't move at all, and he can't speak. Mute, paralyzed, and just waiting at a rich man's door, waiting for help. Pavari Baba, the great yogi of Ghazipur, whom Swamiji met, he gave the image of a, do- of a dog lying at its master's door. He told Swamiji, be a dog at your master's door. Just lie there and wait. A dog won't go away. If the, if the master doesn't come out, the dog will, a, a faithful dog will wait all day, just lying there waiting, waiting, waiting for the master to come. Like a mute paralytic, waiting, waiting, waiting for the rich man to come, waiting at the door of the Lord. Then also he gives a very important point, which we also mention often, which is that if we have a distracted mind at the, during the, most of the day, during our work time and all the other activities, and then expect our mind to settle down and meditate nicely for an hour in the evening, forget it. It's not going to happen. We have the, how we 
uh, how the, the how we deal with the mind during the other 23 hours of the day will have a great bearing on how the mind behaves itself in that one hour of meditation that we have. So, so Brother Lawrence also emphasizes this point. Don't let it take flight during the day, he says. Brother Lawrence lived a very long life. In those days, 77 was a very old man. As his end was approaching, he knew it. He had an illness, and this filled him not with dread, but with greater joy. Two months before his death, he wrote, Everyone is suffering, and I, who should do rigorous penances, experience such continual profound joys that I have trouble keeping them under control. Then, three weeks before his death, he wrote, We know we can do anything with God's grace, and he never refuses it to those who earnestly ask him for it. Knock at his door, keep knocking, and I tell you that he will open to you in his time if you do not give up, and that he will give you all at once what he held off giving for years. Goodbye. Pray for me as I do for you. I hope to see him soon. His last letter was written just six days before his death. He wrote, Let us commit ourselves entirely to him and banish everything else from our hearts and minds. He wants to be alone there, so we should ask him for this grace. If we do what we can, we will soon see the change we hope for in ourselves. I hope for the merciful grace of seeing him in a few days. On his deathbed, after Brother Lawrence received the last sacraments, which is a ritual in the Catholic uh, tradition, they give some special ritual at the, on the last, uh, at the last moments. One of the brothers asked him what he was doing and what was occupying his mind. He replied, I am doing what I will be doing throughout eternity. I am blessing God, I am praising God, I am adoring God, and I am loving him with my whole heart. This is what our vocation is all about, brothers, to adore God and to love him without worrying about anything else. We'll have a couple moments of silence. Tomeva mata chapita tomeva Tomeva bandhuscha sakha tomeva Tomeva vidya dravinam tomeva Tomeva sarvam mama deva deva Kayena vacha manasendriyerva Buddhyatmana va prakriti sobhavat Karomi yajat sakalam parasmai Narayanai tisamarpayami Om shanti 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 Thou art my mother, my father art thou 
Thou art my friend, my companion art thou. Thou art my knowledge, my wealth art thou. Thou art my all in all, O God of gods. Whatever we do through our body, speech, mind, senses, intellect, soul, or through innate natural tendencies, all that we dedicate as an offering to the Supreme Lord. Om, peace, peace, peace.